Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. Hi, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Coffee, Cows, and Crops. Today, I'm chatting with Catherine Hogan, uh, the Area Range Management Specialist for Northern Alberta, and we're going to be talking about assessing native pasture and grazing in forested systems. But before we get into all the fun stuff, Catherine, would you like to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about how you got into range management? Sure. Thanks, Johanna. I was born and raised in the Okanagan, and I've always loved the wild spaces. My dad took us camping a lot. His philosophy was a bad day fishing, beat a good day working. And so that had a lot to do with me pursuing a degree in natural resource science. And while I was there, I fell in love with rangeland ecology. So I was a rangeland ecologist in Peace River and Grand Prairie for about 10 years. And I spent some time in the middle of that as a forest education coordinator for the Nate Boreal Research Institute in Peace River. And as you mentioned, I'm now working as the range management specialist for Alberta Environment and Parks, and I'm based out of Grand Prairie. Awesome. So to start us off, can you explain a little bit about what defines native range? Sure. So I'm going to borrow a definition from the Society for Range Management in that rangeland is land that supports indigenous vegetation that's either grazed or has the potential to be grazed, and it's managed as a natural ecosystem. Mm. And rangelands can include grasslands, shrublands, forests, and their associated riparian areas. And the riparian areas are those green zones next to water. They are different from other agriculture land in that they're dominated by native vegetation. Ah, that makes sense. So as a range management specialist, you do a lot of work with with public lands and assessing native range in the piece. So what are some of the indicators that you look at when you're assessing a pasture? This is actually a really big question, uh, (laughs) but we assess range health. And we define that as the ability of the rangeland to perform certain key ecological functions and be productive. So there's five main indicators of rangeland health that we assess. The first being plant species composition. And the question to ask there is what's growing here? We want to find out what native versus invader species are present and that gives us a good indication of the integrity and the ecological status of the site. When it comes to plant species as are palatable to livestock, uh, perennial species are the most productive and usually the most palatable, but they're also the most sensitive. So they will decline with increased disturbance or increased grazing pressure. The goal of livestock grazing always is to graze the native plants, but to maintain them and not shift to invader species. Mm -hmm. Secondly, we look at the community structure. We look at the understory layers and the variety of life form layers. So if you, you know, picture in your mind's eye walking into an aspen forest, there's trees, then we have tall, medium shrubs, forbs. Those are the broad leaves, maybe like a, uh, a fireweed and then grasses. And the different layers in this community structure will help to maximize 
the production, the conversion of the sun into plant material. And the important, it's important to the diversity of the site because it provides a lot of sustainable benefits. So it's possible to graze and not have a negative impact. I meet so many people that don't like cows, but I, I am here to tell you it's possible to graze cows in forests and not have a negative impact. And we just don't want to change the community structure. The third thing, we take a look at um, soil moisture and nutrient cycling. And this gives us a good idea about the hydrologic function and how nutrient cycles through the area. This is the LFH layer. And so that's just the plant residue layers that are on the surface of the mineral soil. When you're walking through the forest, that's the stuff that crunches beneath your feet. The L is the actual litter, and you'll be able to recognize, you know, leaves and blades of grass, branches. The F is the fermenting, and you can tell that some of those pieces were used to be a leaf, used to be a spruce cone. And the humified is sort of the, the smeary stuff. You can't really tell what it was anymore, but it's organic, and it sits on top of the mineral soil. Mm. And this layer, it really acts like a sponge. It's a builds organic material. And it really impacts the water and nutrient cycles and by acting as an insulator to protect the soil and also protect the, the soil from erosion. It's a really good indicator of sustainable grazing when you have a thick, well-distributed litter layer. Yeah. Um, and then tying into that, <clears throat> excuse me, is the soil erosion potential, and that's the site stability. So when plants are healthy above ground and below ground, the stuff we can't see, and there's a good litter layer, a plant community is far more resistant to soil erosion. Mm. And then lastly, the presence of weeds. So the density distribution of weeds, how many weeds are out on a site and how they're you know, clumped together or individual can also provide some insight as to the stability of the site. A healthy community combats weeds, it's really competitive and it can outcompete them. And as disturbance increases though, and there's, it can increase areas where the weeds can get a foothold and the number of weed species and their cover and density can increase. Right, that makes sense. So a lot of the land in the piece has been developed into tame pasture, especially this, the cleared land. <clears throat> So do you look at different things when you're assessing tame pasture as compared to, to these native areas? Um, and there's lots of riparian areas and stuff that are important for livestock grazing too. So are there different things you look at for different types of pasture? Yeah, for sure. So even though forested, native forested rangelands, native grasslands and tame pastures look very different, the range health assessment will still assess those five key indicators we just discussed. Mm -hmm. We look at what grows there, if there's uh, any, you know, what the structure is, if there's a good litter layer, and whether we observe any signs of soil erosion, and also if there's any weeds in the area. It, it definitely looks different, and a grassland, of course, won't have as many structural layers as a forest would, mm -hmm. but those key indicators come into play. Um, you can find uh, in our range health workbook, and I know you'll have a chance for resources at the end, but <laughs> if you just Google range health workbook uh, and Alberta Environment and Parks, you'll find that online. Right. And then also too, when it comes to riparian areas, cows and fish is really the group that does this best. Mm -hmm. 
and we use their assessments to determine the health of riparian areas, riparian meadows, creeks, edges of uh, ponds and lakes. And um, it's also very similar to range health, our range health assessments. It evaluates some of the same indicators of ecological function, um, but it also includes other indicators that account for the influence and the presence of water in those riparian systems. Right. We have talked, we have talked to cows and fish in the past, and just not specifically about how their evaluation system works. So that's good to know. So we do talk a lot mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to like palatability and stuff about how cows usually don't prefer woody species of plants. Like you can you can train them onto it, but when you compare them to a goat or something, they're not not as uh, fond of them. So when you are grazing in a forest. Mm -hmm. Are there kinds of plants we should be taking into account in our evaluation of how much forage is present? For sure, that's a really good question. Um, in our forested rangelands, shrubs are the main forage for livestock and not the grasses. The native grasses are actually not very palatable to livestock and typically they're a very low percentage of cover under the forest canopy. So, and, and like anything, some shrubs and forbs are more palatable to livestock than others. So it's really important to know which shrubs are in the forested pasture to determine how grazable it is. A really good example up in, in our part of the world in the peace country is um, rose, lowbush cranberry and red your dogwood at Saskatoon as well are all preferred and grazed by livestock. Well, buffalo berry, Current gooseberry, uh, hazelnut are not preferred and therefore not grazed by livestock unless there's nothing else for them to graze. So to determine the forest production for livestock grazing in the forested pastures, you need to look at the shrubs and in particular, the proportion of the palatable versus or you know preferred versus non-preferred shrubs. Um, again, like I'd mentioned before, the the rose and lowbush cranberry will be more grazable than something that's dominated by buffalo berry. It's really important when you're grazing a forested pasture to keep an eye on how much of the shrubs are being grazed. Grazing sustainably means that the preferred shrubs are grazed, but they remain dominant in the pasture and they have a healthy growth form. So you're not starting to see them, you know, go uh, lose height like their stature starts to be reduced or if they start to get funny shapes on them where they're um, they don't have a natural growth form and that's a if that happens it's a, a good indication that your grazing pressure is too heavy and when that happens if you have a, a decline in your shrub you're creating those openings for um, less preferred shrubs and other invader species to start to invade and dominate your site right that makes sense in terms of shape, I know when I chatted with uh, Noreen from Cows and Fish last, she mentioned willows. Like you often see those sort of mushroom shapes mm -hmm. in willows, and that's definitely not a right, not the shape they're supposed to be. That's right. That's a good indication. The pressure is just too high in that area. Awesome. So the other thing with forested pastures, you can tend to get a little bit higher concentration of things like elk and deer. So when we're looking at, at uh, utilization, um, how do we take wildlife into account in those sorts of calculations? 
Yeah, you're you're right. So our native rangeland, um, our tame pastures, the riparian areas, and our forests—they're really good forage and habitat for wildlife. Um, so for us in um, environment and parks on any rangeland, a sustainable stocking rate accounts for the amount of forage that's grazed by livestock and the amount that is ungrazed. We call that amount the carryover. It's really important for wildlife because it provides browse and habitat, but it's also important to protect the soil and build up organic matter and help maintain soil moisture and ensure long-term forage production. So um, I, I know there's, you can ask any of our farmers up here and their rangeland feeds a lot of wildlife and our ecological sustainable stocking rates have been developed for different plant communities. They're published on our website too, but they take into account that yes, livestock will graze this area, but also it's important habitat and forage for other livestock as well. There's a, a built-in factor to allow to sustain both of those groups. Right, that makes sense. Uh, so we talk a lot about regenerative grazing, rotational grazing and, and being able to kind of accurately go out to your pasture when you're moving your cows around and go, okay, I've got enough, about enough grass for, you know, four weeks. Do the, the markers or indicators for pasture health uh, change through the season? Are there different things we should be watching for as the season progresses? Mm -hmm. So you mentioned regenerative regrowth mm -hmm. um, or regenerative grazing. So that regrowth will depend on the type of plants in the pasture and um, the climate at the time and also if effective rest has happened. Mm -hmm. So grasses can regrow after grazing typically because their growth points are lower to the ground compared to shrubs where the growth points are higher up. Right. Um, and we like to, when we look at it, you can get one pass on native rangelands, whether it's a grassland or a forest. Mm -hmm. um, summertime is ideal for forest grazing. And just if you think about last time you're, you know, hiking in the summer at that time, July, August, the shrub leaves are soft. The new wood is soft and the nutrition at that point is optimal. And we want the browsing to be on the current year's growth. So one indicator that you really keep our eye tuned for is the grazing pressure is too high when you start seeing livestock browse the second or third year wood on a shrub or mm. browsing further down. So fall grazing on shrubs sets them back too much. Um, we have a diminished nutrition at that time of the year and it causes increased damage to the shrubs. And also if it's for grazing up there too late, you can have direct conflict with wildlife that browse on twigs in the winter and and look to these forested areas for thermal cover right so think about one pass on our native grasslands and our forest tame pastures however are dominated by agronomic or our non-native species and they're engineered to withstand and respond to grazing so these pastures are our most likely candidates for regenerative grazing in our part of the world mm -hmm. and if conditions are right and, you know, we saw last year, it was a, it was a tough year. Moisture came at odd times. There wasn't enough in most places. So if our conditions are right, you may get a second pass grazing a tame pasture in the same way you might get a second cut of hay. Right. And uh, often I've seen a lot of our, our grazing leaseholders um, in, in a good year, maybe a quote unquote normal year, <laughs> they might get a first pass on their tame pasture 
their animals will get a pass through their forested pasture. If they've got good, good temperatures, good moisture regrowth, they can get another pass on the tame pasture at the end of the season. Right. That makes sense. I have heard, yeah, from lots of people, especially up here with the way our growing season works is that with most rotation, rotational grazing, you're, you're aiming for kind of one cut a year. Some untamed stuff you can come back for it, but on, on native, mm -hmm. you're looking for about one cut a year. Yeah. So something that was introduced to me in, in college was the concept of animal units and using animal units to calculate stocking density, which we, another thing we talk about a lot in this like regenerative mm -hmm. rotational grazing sort of stuff, but also mm -hmm. just generally. Yep. So can you talk me through the process of like calculating how many annual animal units a pasture can support? Sure. So an animal unit month is the forage required by a standard animal unit in one month. And mm -hmm. for our purposes, purposes, we call a standard animal unit a 1,000 pound cow with or without a calf that's less or six months of age or younger. Right. To determine our stocking rate, which is animal unit months per acre, we need to go back to that ecologically sustainable stocking rate I talked about earlier. So just to keep my math really simple <laughs> for my own brain, um, I'll use a 100 acre forested pasture as an example. Um, going back to our really common plant community, the aspen, rose, tall, forb, um, we've determined our ecologically sustainable stocking rate is 0.2 animal unit months per acre. So 0.2 AUMs per acre. And we determine the AUMs this pasture can provide by multiplying our stocking rate by the number of acres. So stocking rate of 0.2 AUMs per acre times a 100 acre pasture equals 20 AUMs. And so that tells us that we can put 20 animal units or 20 of those small 1,000 pound cows out on that pasture for one month. Most of what I've seen around here, if, um, cows are a little bit bigger 12, mm -hmm. 1300 pounds. So for anything other than a 1000 pound cow, we recommend using an animal unit equivalent. When it comes to cows, I, I add 0.1 to the animal unit for every hundred pounds over. So a 1300 pound right. cow is more common. That would be 1.3 AUs. So mm -hmm. or animal units on our 20 animal unit month pasture, we would divide 20 AUMs by 1.3 animal units which would mean we could graze that pasture with 15, 1300 pound cows for one month. Right. I hope that's didn't sound too convoluted. I think that's all right. I mean, anytime we get into math, it's I know. tough because we can't, we don't have a whiteboard, unfortunately. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think that's a good summary anyway. And um, we'll get into resources and stuff in a minute, but, you mentioned that there's kind of the, the plant community with uh, estimated stocking rates. Mm -hmm. um, where, where do people find those? <laughs> oh, for sure. So um, if you Google everything, and we do this <laughs> here too, um, all our guides are available for free online, including our stocking rates. So if you, you know, Google um, Alberta plant community guides, or Alberta Range Health Assessments. That will mm -hmm. lead you to our website and give you 
all the information that you need. And we'd mentioned cows and fish before with their um, riparian assessments. Again, Google them, um, cowsandfish.org, and they have their assessments on their website as well. Awesome. I was just watching a class by a, a grazer from West Edmonton. And he, he's got it set up so he, his animal units, he grazes primarily yearlings. So he just, he, he knows how okay. much a yearling's gonna eat. So his animal units are 700 pound yearlings. Yeah, right. And so for that, again, I just subtract, I would say that is a, a 700 pound yearling, 0.7 animal units mm -hmm. and adjust accordingly. Awesome. So do you have any resource recommendations for people who are looking for more information about assessing their own pasture or grazing forested pasture or any of that sort of stuff? Um, the resources I mentioned before, um, our plant community guides would be helpful to give you an idea of what you have out there and what it can sustain. And then if you want to take a look at the, our health assessment forms, that'll give you an idea or a little more in-depth explanation on the indicators that we use. Awesome. And also um, check out your local offices. You can contact your agrologist in your area and they'd be happy to talk to you about this stuff. Perfect. Um, oh, I had one other question <laughs> and it was, uh, now that we've kind of covered all of the, the basics, what is your, what are your kind of top three things that people should think about or know about grazing pastures in the piece, especially forested pastures? Ooh. Oh, forested pastures. Uh, beware of your timing. Mm -hmm. um, don't go in too early. Uh, typically, we like to say mid-June is about as early as you'd like to go into our pastures here. Um, if, if possible, distribution is a really big deal so do your best to make sure your animals move around and get to the areas that uh, as as broad a, a distribution as you can and also don't stay too long mm -hmm. um, we don't typically it's hard to put a calendar date to end the time but keep an eye again on those indicators on your shrubs if your animals are starting to browse past that first year it's time to move them or if you know it's pretty uniform time to pull them out right Awesome. So timing and intensity kind of boils it all down. Fantastic. Thank you very much for, for coming on, Catherine. All right. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. It's good to chat with you. Peace Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening.